2: You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.
0: It is the Robin Lundberg Show coming to you live from the Rocket Mortgage Studios. Whether you want to buy a home or refinance your current home, Rocket can. Jeffrey underscore jump tweets in. Otani not only pitches and hits in remarkable fashion. Never been done before to this level professionally. Yes. Best ever. I'm joined now by David Sampson, CBS Sports HQ MLB analyst, host of the Nothing Personal podcast. And, and David, uh, you can, you know, play semantic games, right? Like I, if I were to say Shohei Otani is the greatest baseball player ever, that's laughable. But I could make the argument he's the best baseball player Ever based on what he's done this season, saying no one's done that at that kind of level, at as high a level, uh, you know, hit 45 home runs, pitched at, at a, a good level as well. And I talked to uh, CC Sabathia earlier this week, who's the first person I heard dub Otani the best ever, and he doubled down on that statement. So when you hear somebody say Shohei Otani is the best baseball player ever, like CeCe said, what's your reaction?
2: I think it's a bit of hyperbole because it's been a great year and it's been historic. It's been amazing to watch actually, but you have to do it for more than a year in order to be considered the best ever. Don't you?
0: Well, that's why I say it's like the semantic trick, right? Because I would agree with you. Yes. In order to be considered the best ever, like in, in total. Yes. But like, if we're trying to like capture a moment in time, you know, if we're pressing pause and this is, this is the, Result we have for the rest of eternity. Could you say anyone's played baseball at a higher level than Shohei Ohtani has this season? I guess I'll rephrase it that way.
2: I, so then what we're saying is, is this the best season ever in the history of baseball by a player? And I'm still not willing to say that because I'll go back in time to pitchers who are pitching 300 innings. Or I'll go back to uh, home run seasons or other MVP seasons by other players. Barry Bonds had seasons that were just incredible pre-steroids. So I, I think that, again, I'm an Otani fan. There's no question about it. But I'm just not willing right now to say this is the best I've ever seen. Personally, I won't even say that. I mean, Miguel Cabrera, Giancarlo Stan in 2017, I watched his MVP season when he hit 59 home runs and what he did for our team. And you're right, he didn't pitch. But in terms of his value to the team, the Angels are watching October baseball just like the Marlins did during Giancarlo's MVP season. So I guess I'm just not willing to say it's the best season ever.
0: Yeah, well, they say get you a man who can do both, right? Like I, Barry Bonds, enhanced Barry Bonds had probably the greatest seasons I've ever seen. But there, that does weigh into the whole conversation too, and, and how that that factored in. But you bring up a, a point that I think some people here, especially people who aren't. Uh, as dialed into baseball and they go how can this be and and it's been a trend with the the angels in in general right because Mike Trout has been considered the best player in the game for a while now they have Otani on their team yet they're still not a playoff team can you explain to people uh, you just referenced Stanton's season um, how a player can have that much value but still not see it translate to team success I mean is it just confirmation that that baseball in some ways is an individual sport masquerading as a team sport
2: well, I was going to say that baseball is a complete team sport that masquerades with certain great individual performances because so many times you have teams where the parts are greater than some and then you don't win games, and that's mm-hmm. the case with the Angels. They've got great parts, except they just can't win enough games. They don't have enough pitching. So I guess if I had to sum up what's wrong with the Angels, I'd use one word and I'd say pitching. You can't go into a season with Otani who is really pitching the innings of a number five starter. Don't forget that. He's not giving you ace innings. If you're going to be an ace of a staff, you have to be around 200 innings, not 130. And when you look at what the Angels have done behind Otani in the rotation, you know, it's sleepy, dumpy, and, and, and grumpy pitching. And that I, I remember this. I lived this, Robin. I had great position players, but we just didn't have the pitching, and therefore you just don't win games.
0: Now, when, when you're talking about teams that are winning games or competing to win games right now, there's a heck of a, a, a race going on uh, for the wild card spot in the American League. Yankees beat the, the Red Sox uh, last night. Uh, Blue Jays drop another one. To the, all of a sudden, it, it's been funny for me covering the Yankees because I, I guess... I'm not covering the Yankees, but seeing the way that the Yankees are covered because th- I feel like they get a little bit more of a hysteria around them. You know, Boone's job has been on the line. Cashman's job has been on the line. I'm not saying in reality, but, you know, in, in the, the, the talking head point of view uh, during the, the course of this season. But th- I feel like that team's gone through a lot of ebbs and flows, whether it's a winning streak or, or people saying that they're, they're, they're out of it. Where do you assess the, the Yankees' current position uh, a- as it is relative to that, that wild card chase?
2: Well, they're a very streaky team. And generally, very streaky teams are not going to be successful in October. That's sort of the general rule of law that we would have inside baseball. And the Yankees certainly have the ability, like you saw last night, when, when Stanton hits that three-run home run, it's sort of a dagger against Ivaldi to make it 6 nothing. You just know that, okay, they've got that game. Toronto's lost a few in a row, so they keep sort of leapfrogging each other because one of those three teams is not going to make it. I think the Yankees are in danger of not making the playoffs. Uh, but they could go on one of those streaks where they just win the rest of their games. That's possible too. That's what makes the race so interesting here this last week. But in terms of their overall team, it's been disappointing. And I think that Boone and Cashman do have their job on the line because at some point Steinbrenner has to say to himself, forget the fact that we haven't been to the world series or won a world series since 2009. But now I'm looking at sort of the lack of impact we've had in October over the years, recent years And I think a change is necessary. So if they don't make the playoffs, I would be very surprised if both Boone and Cashman were back.
0: Now, that's interesting. Yeah, obviously a package deal, I think, in the sense that it feels like, you know, Boone was Cashman's guy. But Cashman is the one who's been there for a long time and has had a lot of success, right? Uh, But uh, with the Yankees, there is a certain level of expectations as well. Is that a... a Is your statement based on them not meeting expectations this season or Cashman has just been there a a long time and it's time for a change or a combination of the two?
2: I think you have to start looking, if you're the Yankees, at the money that's being spent and realize that they've got a top payroll almost every single year and they're just not getting the performance from an organizational standpoint. Let's say the way the Dodgers have, who also have a top payroll and they seem to be consistent now, let's say, nine years in a row making the playoffs. And, and then getting a World Series uh, in, that, in that realm once last, last year, and they're trying to repeat. So I think that when you're evaluating your team, you have to look at the money that you're spending, you have to look at the performance that you're getting, and then you have to decide whether you think a new voice is going to make a difference, whether that voice is in the front office or whether that voice is in the manager's office.
0: Robin Lundberg talking to David Sampson, CBS Sports HQ MLB analyst, host of the Nothing Personal podcast. Now, uh, when we're talking about those three teams, let's let's bring in the Red Sox and, and the Blue Jays. Obviously, one of those teams is going to be disappointed. Um, and, and even if you are saying the Yankees are having a disappointing season, I think there's there's such a uh, variety of outcomes that, that could take place from this. Would you say for for those three teams, would you be shocked if any of them are in the mix for the World Series if they do qualify versus the the fact that they're also in the mix to be out of the playoffs completely?
2: So we had a rule that we said that getting to October requires a lot of skill on your team. Getting through October requires a lot of luck for your team. So it's very difficult when people say, oh, the hottest team is going to win the World Series. Maybe the hottest team is the best team going into October, but you still need a lot of breaks during the different rounds of the playoffs just to get through those rounds and win those games. So I think it's impossible to predict, and I don't think that there is a great way to correlate uh, between just sneaking into the playoffs and then doing well in the playoffs. So that's what makes October baseball the best, and I think that's what makes baseball postseason the best postseason because you just don't know what's going to happen over that entire huge month of October. But if the Yankees get in and they get on one of those streaks in the playoffs, they could win the 12 games, right? And no problem. The Blue Jays have a lineup that I think is the best lineup in baseball. They've lost a few three in a row now. But the Blue Jays, if Ryu comes back and somehow turn, gets himself back together again, they've got a rotation and they've got a pitching staff that could do it. The Red Sox, I, you know, to me they've done it a little bit with smoke and mirrors this year. I didn't expect them to be as good as they've been, but they could get through October too. You just don't know.
0: Now, it, it, when you're looking at the teams that have more solidified positioning, I mean, part of the point that I, I think you were emphasizing that, that I've made in, in the past, uh, you know, it's funny because you could throw it out with other sports and maybe you'd say, I might take this team over the field. You can't do that in in, in baseball. But is there a team, a couple of teams that you think are a, a cut above the, the rest heading into October?
2: I think the National League is fascinating because I, I no longer am willing to say that the Giants are, are faking it this year. I keep waiting for them to fade, and it's over. There's no more fading. They've done it. They've made it through the regular season. They've got 100 wins right now. They're getting career years from so many different players, and that's what makes – that's the dream of an executive, right? When you're putting your team together in the offseason during spring training, you sort of dream of players having career years all at once, and that's what's happening in San Francisco. The Dodgers – are deep and they know what it takes to win and then you look at the Brewers who probably have the best rotation the best pitching and if Yelich can somehow get some power back and and get his average up and have a good run in October they've got a lineup that can win so you just and by the way how about the Braves in their infield and the Braves may not even make the playoffs if uh, if Philadelphia catches them which I don't know I don't think they will but they could so who knows what's gonna happen Uh, but there's so many good teams in the National League it makes it interesting.
0: One more for you. Uh, I saw that they might be experimenting with a a ball that has uh, extra grip on it, if you will, uh, as as part of a response to the the controversy that happened this year with pitchers putting stuff on the ball. Do you think that story has completely faded away as far as relevancy to the outcome of of, of this season? Did, Did baseball, in a sense, do a good job sort of eliminating that, because that was the story of the season, other than Otani, earlier in the, in the year, the, the sticky stuff problem, but haven't heard much about it um, in, in recent weeks as, as we've reached the playoff chase. Maybe it's just a function of the playoffs coming up.
2: I think they've just gotten quiet, but the reality is there's got to be sticky stuff on a baseball. Uh, we all want it as executives. The pitchers want it as well, and so do the hitters. With all the pitchers pitching 98 miles an hour now, you want those pitchers to have a good grip on the ball because you want them to have command. You don't want to get up there as a hitter and be scared that you're going to get hit. And I, I mean hit not purposefully. So they're going to develop a foreign substance that is universal. I'm calling it like a universal foreign substance, right? So that is something that all balls will have, all balls will be prepared with, and it will be tested not just in A, but they need to show it to big-league pitchers and have big-league pitchers hold the ball, grip the ball, throw bullpens with the ball, feel that ball, and see whether or not that would be accepted by the union as the only accepted foreign substance. But I think the next collective bargaining agreement, when it is done, will have provisions in it about the baseball and about the foreign substances that will be allowed and those that will not be, because the blanket rule that you can have no foreign substance, that is going to go away by next season.
0: David, really appreciate your time and insight. And enjoy your weekend, man.
2: Hey, take care. Thank you.
0: David Sampson, CBS Sports HQ, MLB analyst, host of the Nothing Personal Podcast. The the phrasing foreign substance, and, and I, I use it too, but it's just amusing to me because I can't help but think of professional wrestling. I just got a foreign substance. What is this? You know, like, um, I, I, I don't know if uh, this uh, manager would fly in today's day and age, but there used to be a manager named Mr. Fuji who would uh throw uh was it salt or dust or something he would throw in in people's eyes uh and that's what i think of as a a foreign substance you know like oh what what has he got he's got a foreign substance (laughs) not like um vaseline (laughs) or (laughs) or whatever it is that pitchers are using these this gunk that they created you know i did some research into cheating in baseball for a project i'm working on and it's been around the whole time whether it's you know pitchers with with Sticky stuff, batters with cork, steroids, sign stealing. They were stealing signs in, like, the late 1800s, early 1900s, you know, with telescopes. And there was even a a, a buzzer system that one team used, the Phillies used in the early 1900s, where they had, like, a, a telescope at center field to steal the sign and then a buzzer system wired to their third base coach that would send a shock up his leg to indicate what the, the, the pitch was going to be. So... Um, I, I think with you know, there's that line of trying to get a better grip and trying to be able to pitch a ball that's just impossible to hit, and that was the problem that baseball ran into this year. Eight five five two one two four two two seven. Eight five five two one two four two two seven. The NBA season is approaching. A lot of talk about who the best player in the NBA is. All these lists that came out this week, but there is a story that's emerged from the NBA that I think will be a pretty big talking point uh, and it has to do with something that may keep a player off the court not what he is doing on the court I'll explain what I'm talking about coming up next it is the Robin Lundberg show here on CBS Sports Radio you can weigh in at Robin Lundberg on Twitter that's R-O-B-I-N-L-U-N-D-B-E-R-G and like I said also at 855-212-4227
1: You're listening to The Robin Lundberg Show.
0: It is The Robin Lundberg Show here on CBS Sports Radio. You know, um, I have a tough time watching the news, like the real news, because uh, everything is COVID all the time. And I think um, here's, here's where I am in general, right? Obviously, COVID is serious like obviously it's way too many people have died um our entire way of life has been altered at the same time i, I think because it is their main topic and because you know they want to keep their audience uh a lot of media outlets have have just like generated fear in the way that they cover it they prey on people's fears And it's not that some of the information is factually incorrect. It's just the the presentation of it. And there was a local newscast on in my house yesterday. And I I swear I heard the word vaccine 750 times in two minutes. And just to, you know, uh, because I like to be honest with the audience, here's where I stand on the vaccine thing. I mean, I'm fully vaccinated. I would recommend you be fully vaccinated. I think the more people that are fully vaccinated, the better. Uh, uh, Yes, it doesn't prevent you completely from testing positive for COVID but it lessens the chances that you test positive for COVID and it lessens the chances that if you do get COVID that you have serious side effects of COVID and you you know it's probability. Uh, I feel like some people don't understand basic probability. I don't think anybody should be forced to do anything but it's also um, the right of employers and, and the like and anybody else to to make their policies as well right um, but I've just sort of gotten a little tired of the debate because I, I feel like people are too polarized and you know at this point where you know what other information needs to be presented I've, the information is out there people are gonna do or or not do what they want uh, businesses cities whatever are gonna do certain groups are going to do or not do what they want but when it comes to the sports world, you know, it's, it's a topic, um, obviously, when it's going to impact someone being on the field or not. And in this case, the court in the NBA. And, you know, the NFL, the way they handled it was basically they made it as tough as possible to function normally within their league unvaccinated. So they didn't put out a vaccine mandate. But it's certainly been more difficult for non-vaccinated players. The NBA also doesn't have a mandate for the players. But I feel like Adam Silver and company are, are leaving that to the, the state's hands. And it's going to force the issue in specific places especially. But in general across the league. I mean, I believe it's something like 90% of NBA players are vaccinated. One player who's not is Andrew Wiggins of the Warriors. And the problem that Wiggins is facing here is as of now, he will not be able to play in home games. That's right, home games, all of them, 41 of them. He uh, applied for a religious exemption to getting the COVID-19 vaccine, which was denied. I don't know if that's because the NBA found that his reasoning for it was flimsy or just because the san francisco department of public health has made clear that there would be no exemptions for anyone 12 or older at large indoor gatherings which is what a professional basketball game is a large indoor gathering so this is not an nba policy this is not the nba that is saying andrew wiggins cannot play at home games this is because of the rules that are in place where the warriors are located Now, obviously that's, I mean, a massive deal. I mean, think about the money that could be on the line for Wiggins in that case. And then, you know, the impact on the the team. You're talking about, you know, you got Steph, you got Clay, you got Draymond. Beyond that, he's as important as anybody to that team, right? At this point in time. That's a, a significant blow. And it's it's not the only time that story is going to come up. You also have similar policies in New York. You know, and, and the, the Knicks have come out and said that uh, their team is 100% vaccinated. Uh, Sean Marks, who is the GM for the Nets, said that their team is not 100% vaccinated, that there are a couple of players, if practice was held the day he made the statement, wouldn't be able to participate. But he said he was confident that they'd all be vaccinated or He didn't say that specifically. Let me not put words in his mouth. He was confident that it wouldn't be an issue for them when the season actually started. Which has led to speculation about who on that team may not be vaccinated and the like. I don't think Marks would say that if he didn't already have the conversation with the players. But we'll see. We'll see how that develops. Wiggins, I'm comfortable using his name more so than with other players because he's on the record saying he wouldn't get the vaccine. Uh, unless he was forced to and the NBA included his name in the statement. So we we know for a fact his vaccination status and we know for a fact the problem it may cause for his team. So um that's a, a tricky it's a tricky situation because my question to you is if you're the Warriors how do you handle this? I mean like if you're Andrew Wiggins how do you handle it? The easiest way to handle it is to get vaccinated. Right, we we now have, I don't know, two and a half billion people in the world who have received this vaccine. Um, the returns are in, fully approved by the FDA. All these things, like, it, it, what else do you want? Uh, but if if for whatever reason that is a something he does not want to do, and again, I don't think anybody should be forced to do anything. He's essentially being forced, or he's going to have to cost his team greatly, cost himself greatly. I mean, I I don't know what choice he has. What, are they going to trade him to a team that doesn't play in a place where these policies are in place? And there's nobody to get, you know, like, it's funny because there's no, it's not funny, but... It's interesting because there's no, you know, like in the, the realm of this, the sports aspect of it, you can't get mad at the NBA, I and mean, the NBA has no control over this. So it's not even the NBA making him do it. The, uh, I think the NBA is actually being smart in a sense here. They're uh, allowing the dirty work to be done for them. And when you're a part of a, a team like that, I, I don't think you want to be the guy who, you know, is costing the team. Because – you can't play in a home game. I mean, that's that. That's not even just you miss a week or 10 days or whatever it is, and when you could have returned quicker if you were vaccinated. I mean, you see that in the NFL, right? Like, uh, I think it's like two uh, negative tests within you know 48-hour span or something like that, even if you're vaccinated and you would come up positive, you know, so you can return much more quickly versus if you're unvaccinated, you have to be out for uh, a certain amount of time. We're not even talking about being away from the team or being out, you're talking about not being able to play in half of the games. So, I don't know if Wiggins really... and His conviction and his stance is going to be very much tested because I don't know if he has much of a choice here. So, if you're the team, do you just sit back and let it take care of itself? I mean, how do you handle a situation like that? Eight five five two one two four two two seven. 855 212 At Robin Lundberg on Twitter. That's R-O-B-I-N-L-U-N-D-B-E-R-G. Again, like I said, the NBA denied his uh, request for religious exemption. But I don't know if that's because they didn't believe it, didn't buy it, or it's because, like I said, the San Francisco Department of Public Health uh, said there would be no exemptions for anyone 12 and older at large indoor gatherings. So again, they may not have a choice. And the statement says, under the current order, if unvaccinated, they cannot enter indoor arenas regardless of the reason they are unvaccinated and cannot test out of this requirement, even if they have a medical or religious exemption. So there it is in the explanation. The NBA says, sorry, dude, not our choice, but you can't play in home games. And this right now, I, I believe, I don't know if it goes beyond New York and San Francisco. But right now, this would impact, obviously, the Golden State Warriors, the New York Knicks, and the Brooklyn Nets.
1: You're listening to The Robin Lundberg Show.
0: It is The Robin Lundberg Show here on CBS Sports Radio. Joshua Avery in, tweets in, trade Andrew Wiggins in a second rounder for Ben Simmons. Then they can both play this year. Common sense. Oh, uh, yeah, I was just asking what you do if you're the Warriors around this Wiggins situation. I mean, maybe you do nothing. The pressure is now firmly on Andrew Wiggins after the uh, NBA denied his religious exemption request. Essentially, they had no choice but to not deny that either because of the rules in San Francisco. And as of right now, Wiggins will not be able to play in home games unless he gets vaccinated, which is a story for teams in New York and San Francisco. Uh, the Knicks have said their team is fully vaccinated. The Nets have said if practice was held last week, there would be a couple of people that might not be able to participate, but they don't foresee it being a problem when the season begins. The Warriors, Wiggins specifically, is named out there. And I, I don't know. You know, the NBA is sort of letting the states take care of it, and the cities take care of it. And, and you'll see, uh, you know, the results here. So I, I, I wonder just how steadfast Wiggins is in, in his position. I mean, I, I get them at the point where, you know, it's I, I don't even know what to say in an argument anymore. I feel like the information is out there. But it's interesting. So is the Ben Simmons situation in Philadelphia because Ben Simmons, like, he ain't James Harden, right? <laughs> it's the difference between when, when James Harden trying to force a trade and Ben Simmons trying to force a trade. I mean, James Harden, whatever you think of him, He'd been on the Rockets. You know, that that time period that James Harden was on the Rockets, they were the only team that didn't miss the playoffs in the entire NBA. When Harden got traded to Oklahoma City, to Houston, they made the playoffs his first year there, and they made the playoffs every single year he was there. The only team in the league to make the playoffs every year during that span. Um, Yes, they didn't win a championship, but Harden's performance uh obviously what what seemed to to happen the collapse of the the situation around him i don't think anybody liked the way harden forced himself out of there myself included but he's a different level of player and i think big picture you could understand why he might wanted you know he might have wanted to move on regardless of the the smaller picture of, of how he moved on ben simmons is a little different for a couple reasons. One. He's not. That level of player. Two. I don't know if the critiques of. Ben Simmons's performance are out of line. You know. I mean look at. uh, Look at what happened. Look at what happened in the the season in the playoffs dude had a dunk attempt didn't take it never attempts an outside shot really doesn't have a shot at all doesn't mean he's a bum you know he has value in the sense that he's a versatile defender he can still do things with the basketball in his hands I think maybe it is time for a new circumstance, new situation for him, and that will help out. I, I kind of think he needs to play up, too, meaning um, power forward and center. Well, I mean, I could see Ben Simmons as a, a center for a team rather than a point guard, but he's he's a self-check. So, I, you know, it's officially a failure in Philadelphia at this point for him. and in the meantime you're you're looking at an awkward situation an awkward situation for for Ben Simmons in Philly and Doc Rivers is going on a press tour <laughs> right now cuz that's the other thing about this that situation with him is um the the people that have spoken out you know it's Joel Embiid who said? Uh, he basically the the game after that the uh the right after the game where he he didn't dunk the ball, he, he basically implied that he had a problem with Ben Simmons in that situation. And Doc Rivers said uh, was asked I think if he could win a championship with him, and said I don't know something something along those lines, which he's since tried to clean up. So you get where where Simmons would feel betrayed a little bit, because he's like. Yo, you're supposed to have my back. I mean, you're the coach, you're the other star teammate. You're supposed to have my back, but when you, um, you know, perform the way Ben Simmons has performed, it's not like the criticism is out of line. Here was part of uh, what Doc Rivers had to say in his press tour when he when he was on first take.
1: It was a good conversation, um, and he and he gave his reasons, which we obviously didn't agree with. Um, but you know, Steven, I, I think in sports and you've been around it a lot. Um, there's been so many times that this has happened that hasn't been reported and the guy comes back. So mm-hmm. listen, we're gonna go through it. Um, we're gonna always do what's best for the team. Uh but I can tell you up front, we would love to get Ben back. And if we can, we're gonna try to do that. You know, Ben has a long contract, so mm-hmm. it's it's no, it's in our hands. And and we want him back.
0: And, you know, what are the expectations then, Doc, uh, about the, the Ben Simmons situation?
1: To get him back. And once we get back in the fold, uh, then we can get to work. Um, if that doesn't happen, I don't have an expectation because I don't know where we would go. Uh, that is to be, you know, that that will happen if it happens. But right now, Ben is still part of this team, and, and I'm going to focus on that part of
0: it. Look, Doc is trying to clean it up. Um But he is part of why this is a mess, too. I mean, he he could say his comment after the the playoff game was taken out of context or whatever. But still, if you heard that question and answer live, I mean, you can understand why um, some would say that he threw Ben Simmons under the
1: bus. Yeah, I want to correct that because I, I would love you guys to play what I said. Mm-hmm. Uh, because and I've told you this before, Stephen A, never said what was reported. The question was asked about Ben, it was the first question after we just lost a game seven. My answer was, I'm not answering any of that stuff right now, guys. I don't even know how to answer that. That had nothing to do with was about Ben. I was basically saying, I'm not answering that crap, those questions. No. You know, I've been in sports a long time and and I'm not misrepresented very often, but in that case, I was. Uh, But it is what it is. Uh, Ben knows, uh, Rich knows, and I know.
0: Though, I mean, if he says something like that, what we can do is play for you what he actually said, and you can make a judgment for yourself. Here was uh, Doc Rivers from – what was the date on that, Anthony? That would be on June the 20th. June 20th, all the way back in June 20th. Here, Here was Doc. Doc, do you think Ben Simmons can, can still be a point guard for, for a championship team like the one you guys
1: want to become? Yeah, David, I don't know that question or the answer to that right now. Um, you know, so I don't know the answer to that.
0: I mean, sorry, Doc. I, I, I get what he was saying in the cleanup, but I also, you know, you hear that it didn't sound like he was dismissive of the question there. It didn't sound like that was like, how could you dare ask me that question? It sounded like. Yeah, I don't really believe in Ben Simmons. <laughs> That's what it sounded like to me. And for good reason. By the way, for good reason. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with Doc feeling that way. I, I think almost everybody watching felt that way. And and I used to be a big believer in Ben Simmons. I thought he had the talent. You know, and, and I was even Team Simmons in the team Simmons Embiid debate. Because look, Joel Embiid plays a style and a position that's not quite as conducive to the modern NBA, but neither is being a complete self-check on the perimeter. And I, I've switched in that regard. I mean, like, it was also injury that that factored in. But I thought there'd be some development from Ben Simmons. There's been no development. I mean, you, you, it's not even that he, he can't shoot the ball from the outside. He can't score at all. He's got no pet move. He's got no little baby hook. He he's not a great finisher around the rim, even. I mean, it's a problem. It's a problem. It's why I like when even these uh fake trades get floated out there. There's a fake trades of like uh Kyrie Irving and Ben Simmons. I wouldn't trade Kyrie Irving for Ben Simmons. I, I get like the idea that um it's a more of a need. Or more of a fit for the Nets to get a defensive player like Ben Simmons in. But I don't care. Like, Kyrie is a vastly superior basketball player. Vastly. So, I, I that's just not the kind of deal I would make. I mean, you even had the Warriors. I think it was Joe Lacob who had come out and said, uh, you know, he commented publicly on Ben Simmons. Because there had been some rumors that the, the Warriors might be interested And the Warriors owner had basically said Ben Simmons makes a lot of money, and I don't even know if he can play at the end of games. I don't even know if he can play at the end of games. And that's right, too. Like, you're not a superstar if you can't close a game. If you have to be sat down because you're a liability for your team, you're not a superstar. I mean, even calling you a star is very generous if that's the case. So uh the, yeah, the Ben Simmons situation uh, it'll be interesting to see how it unfolds. I think it's got to be past the point of no return. I mean Ben Simmons seems to be personally upset and hurt, which I do understand. I do understand when you're your superstar teammate and your coach you feel instead of having your back or or calling you out. But at the same time it's not like the critiques of Ben Simmons are unfounded. You know the, the word "narrative" gets used a lot nowadays. This ain't a narrative; it's the truth. The guy's hurt his team in his lack of development and his inability to be a threat out on the court. And when you're, you know, demanding a trade, it takes a generally a you know certain level of uh gravitas to demand a trade and he ain't James Harden as much as people might not have liked what what James Harden did there's a you know there's as a great philosopher once said there's levels to this speaking of which like all the uh, NBA player ranking lists came out this week ESPN Sports Illustrated uh you know it's funny some of the stuff that that people make a big deal of as far as like ranking the the top player in the NBA right now, I think it, you know, it's a three-man race. I think at this moment you got to pick between Giannis fresh off the NBA championship, Kevin Durant who was unbelievable in that series against the Bucks and, and led Team USA to the gold, and LeBron James who's had that title for the longest time, but now 37 years old or he will be at some point this season. I think he's 36 right now. And heading into his nineteenth season, which is wild. Steph Curry, probably right in that mix. Right after, I mean, like if I'm I'm trying to tear it out, I I would say it's to me it's those three guys: Curry, Harden, Jokic, Doncic. Kawhi would be in that mix too if he was healthy. But that's that's my grouping. Before you even go like a, then you're looking at Embiid. Um, who am I missing? Dame. You know, guys of, of that ilk, right after that initial grouping, of players. But, you know, I think the arguments actually come a little lower on the list. Like, I brought up Kyrie before. Kyrie was, nineteen at SI. Uh, 20 at ESPN. And I, I get dropping Kyrie because of uh, reliability. Like, I, I certainly get that. And he, he should be dropped some because, you know, reliability, leadership questions. But 19 or 20, that's, like, harsh. There aren't 18, 19 better basketball players in the world than Kyrie Irving, who is the most skilled player who's ever lived. I mean, you think about it, like... Uh, ability to handle the basketball, ability to finish footwork, shooting, that combination of skill. No one's ever had, no one's ever been more blessed than Kyrie Irving in that regard. You know, where Russell Westbrook might be ranked could lead to some controversy because, you know, he averages triple-double, now he's on the Lakers, but he's been traded by a few teams. NBA season is approaching, which means those sort of discussions will be plentiful. 855-212-4227, 855-212-4227. At Robin Ludberg on Twitter, that's R-O-B-I-N-L-U-N-D-B-E-R-G. We'll get back to the NFL at the top of the hour, including my picks where I have to redeem myself from a disaster that was last week, like a, a total disaster. I will do my best to get ready for that right now. If you want to be ready to participate in the show, again, 855-212-4227. But we're talking NFL coming up next. It is the Robin Lundberg Show here on CBS Sports Radio.
1: Tune In is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports.
0: clock at four. Donchich. The step back
2: three. You bet. Music. You said my word.